Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of HPO. Uh, I'm excited to have... Uh, who a lot of the endurance fans of this podcast will probably already know is Matt Fitzgerald is, is joining me today. And we're going to chat a bit about just kind of endurance training protocol, like his approach, which a lot of people probably know is the 80, 20 approach to running or, and triathlon, I suppose. Now, you know, the funny thing, Matt, is when I was kind of going over stuff for this, this interview, I wanted to kind of cover some of your books and I realized there's just too many of them at this point. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> You've been turning them out. So, but yeah, 80, 20 is probably one of the ones that folks, think of when they think of you as an author as one that probably tipped them off to you or that they've gone through or seen and been a little more familiar with so it also I think serves as a good a good template maybe to discuss what I want to kind of chat with you about uh we uh I had I had the pleasure of having Dr. Edwards and and Professor Blot come on this podcast and just kind of share a little bit about both variable pace running which I found found really intriguing, especially with uh, with their book that I that I know you've read as well. In terms of just kind of how the pacing strategies actually end up playing out when you put it on paper after a lot of successful marathons and things like that. But then also where I think it maybe gets a little more controversial than that is just how to prepare yourself for that. Which uh, mm-hmm. Professor Balat's going to be like all in on those short VO2 max intervals, the thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off. And, you know, a lot of them. So um, when I look at just coaching, programming and stuff, you know, I see a lot more information skewing to say like a two to four minute target for that sort of intensity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it'd be kind of fun to maybe talk about that, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I want folks to let you, I want to let you introduce yourself and maybe give us an outline of 80-20 and some of that stuff. And then we can get into where this fits within that and then maybe a little deeper as to like how we would actually structure those intervals within an 80, 20 approach too. Right on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been uh, an endurance athlete, uh, pretty much my, my whole life and, um, uh, you know, ran in high school and, you know, back, back then, if you, if you, you know, had a, a decent high school cross country team, you probably had a coach who was steeped in the Lydiard method, uh, which is just, you know, high volume, mostly slow, um, and, uh, you know, even back then we're talking, you know, the late eighties when I was in high school, that had been around for a while and it really hadn't been improved upon, you know, training was still evolving, but some of the, some of the, you know, the big questions seem to have been like answered. Um, and, uh, so, 
you know, I ended up not running in college, but the same, same deal if I had, um, I went to a, a school with a good running program and that, that guy was a Lydiard guy who coached it. Um, and then, uh, got back into the endurance sports after, after college and started coaching. And, you know, the big mistake I, I saw athletes making was doing, uh, too much moderate intensity, not enough low intensity. And other coaches I would talk to would say, yeah, it's universal. <laughs> like, you know, if I could only fix one thing that's broken with the training of most people, it's like they're not doing enough truly low intensity um, training. And then uh, it was kind of in the early 2000s, uh, um, this researcher named Steven Seiler started to talk about uh, an 80-20 intensity balance. And he was among, among the first scientists who actually put numbers on what Lydiard had discovered back in the 1950s. He started actually by just looking at how elite endurance athletes train, not just runners, but across endurance disciplines and trying to quantify like, what are, what are the best athletes doing? And he found that across the board, they seem to spend about 80% of their time at low intensity, 20% moderate to high. And so I latched onto that because you know, it was basically the same message, but it gave it a brand. <laughs> and it was amazing, like what a difference that made in terms of like giving the same advice I'd always been giving to athletes. Um, but now it had, um, you know, like a different wrapper on it that, uh, you know, that stuff actually matters a lot, you know, just concepts and, and memes and ideas. And so it, it kind of caught on. And, you know, I know Steven Seiler jokes about it, how like he was the guy who came up with this and now I'm making money off it. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, to his credit, I think, uh, well, a lot to his credit, but I think the one of the studies that gets pointed to a lot is one of his, when you're looking at some of these shorter interval sessions, I believe his study, the big one anyway, was they looked at one minute, two minute, was it four minutes and six minutes, if I'm remembering right. I know they did four different groups with that. So uh, part of it that kind of stuck out to me was, oh, they didn't have a 30 second cohort. Bummer. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracting you. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's the introduction. So like you said, cool. I've written, written all too many books, but um, yeah, 80, 20 is a, a big focus for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the 80, 20 approach, I think uh, when folks first hear that, it kind of, it makes sense, right? You get like this, uh, we talked about memes a little bit, but like you get like this, this banter thrown around where it's like, you're running in this gray area, you're in this moderate intensity zone where it's too slow to be impactful enough to be really leveraging your faster running, but it's too fast for you to really be, you know, leveraging your slower running stuff. In fact, it's actually probably fatiguing you. So you're doing less of the stuff that would actually move the needle more at the end of the day. And that's where it kind of gets, gets a little, a little goofy and then when you kind of throw into it, just eventually most folks, I think are getting around to like, what pace am I going to run on race day or try to run on race day? And they're going to probably try to do some work at that intensity just to familiarize themselves with it more or less. But in the lead up to that, like, is there a point that you look at specifically where you kind of cross over from what you would kind of call easy into moderate? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, obviously, you know, these, these definitions don't come from God almighty, like we, we come up with them. And, you know, scientists have proposed different definitions, like, you know, where's the proper dividing line between low and moderate, but there seems to be a consensus forming around uh, the first ventilatory threshold as the, the appropriate uh, border between low and moderate intensity. And that's an intensity at which there's, um, 
kind of an abrupt spike in your uh, breathing rate or rate of ventilation. Um, and it's not one that you notice. It's not where you begin to hyperventilate. There, there are actually two points where, where those, normally as your exercise uh, intensity increases, your breathing rate increases you know, glad, gradually, linearly. But there, there are two intensities, separate intensities at, at which there's like an abrupt spike. The first of them is this first ventilatory threshold. And when you're just below it, um, uh, the, the exercise is not at all stressful or not very stressful to your autonomic nervous system. So you can handle a lot of it and you can recover very quickly from it. It's beneficial, but it's one of those things where it, like a small amount provides a very small benefit. So you, you got to do a lot to get a lot of, out of it, but you can also handle a lot. But when you cross over that threshold, um, it becomes a lot more stressful to your nervous system. So you can't handle as much of it um, and it takes longer to recover from it. Um, so it's not like it's bad for you. And, and like, you know, you do, you know, most, <clears throat> unless you're the kind of person who does a hundred mile races like, like you, <laughs> like most races are in the moderate intensity range. Mm -hmm. So you need to spend some time there. But the, the problem is that most runners without even realizing it, uh, spend about half of their time, like just over that threshold. Um, so they're, they're, you know, sort of needlessly stressing their nervous system and not really getting any more benefit than if they just, you know, put the brakes on themselves or throttle back a little bit. Um, and, and we're at a truly physiologically low intensity. Yeah. They almost blow past that first ventilator threshold and get them up, themselves up near that, that second one where they're almost doing just below like a lactate threshold type workout when the intention is not to be doing that. Um, yep. and it, it is interesting because it's kind of a fun pace to run sometimes too. And like, if you're out, you, cause you feel like you're working, but you can also do it for a significant amount of, or fairly significant amount of time. So I think people do get drawn into it where they're like, well, if I could do that for an hour, it can't be doing too much damage. When in reality, it's the cumulative stuff over time that I think is going to really kind of put someone in a bad spot with that. But um, do you like to use heart rate with that sort of stuff to kind of help people decide or see like something real tangible as to like, okay, I'm in the right spot. Uh, Cause I know like listeners, of this podcast will have heard me talk about heart rate as kind of like a tool that I like to use maybe as like a post run analytical thing when I can control yeah. a lot. But there's still a lot of noise around heart rate too. So I think like that perceived effort metric is going to be your, your kind of compass once you can get a hold of it. But uh, you know, when, when I'm working with someone who's have, doesn't have a big history and structured running, or maybe not hardly at it running at all, it's tough to tell them to go out and run, you know, at their aerobic or just below their aerobic threshold or the intensity they could sustain for 60 minutes or something like that, where they just don't have a lot of precedent for that. So what is your kind of uh do you have, I guess, steps that you use to help people kind of close that gap? Yes. I mean, you know, you need to find that threshold, like, you know, because it's, you know, I mean, the only way to determine it directly is to go to an exercise laboratory and run on a treadmill while breathing into a mask, you know, that measures, you know, the gases you're exhaling. Well, you can't do that at home. So how do you do it? Uh, you need, you need some, some way to quantify it. Um, Heart rate is one way to do it, uh, very useful. It's not the only way. I mean, you can do it by pace. Uh, you can also do it, you know, these, they have these run power meters out now um, uh, and you can do it, you can do it by pace. I mean, pace, heart rate or power. Um, you can also do it sort of um, 
semi subjectively with, you know, the good old fashioned talk test. Uh, you know, if you are, you know, it, it sounds like too primitive to be scientific, but it actually is, it is scientific, you know? Um, so, you know, if you can, if you can speak comfortably um, while you're running, you're definitely below that, that threshold. But, you know, for normal purposes, you just choose your metric, pace, heart rate, or power. Um, they all have pros and cons. Um, and, and for that very reason, you could choose more than one to use. Um, then you, you need to do some type of testing uh, to find your, your ventilatory threshold. Um, and then you can calibrate perceived effort to it. You know, the problem is, you know, I, I call it intensity blindness. You know, if I tell the average runner to go out and run at low intensity, they'll go out and run at moderate intensity and think they've done just what I asked. So, um, but, but so you, you know, you can't just out of the gate rely on perception of effort. But once you've sort of calibrated uh, your ventilatory threshold, you can see what it actually feels like to be uh, below the ventilatory threshold. And then you, you're not necessarily chained to a device, you know, for every, for every run you do, you do from then on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, it is amazing how accurate you can get with perceived effort once you've kind of gone through a few cycles of training or even just a few tests for that matter. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you're, when you're talking to an experienced runner and it doesn't have to be a great runner, it could just be someone who's very comfortable with their abilities along the spectrum and they can dial up whatever pace you tell them to almost right off, like almost to the second, a lot of times. And it's just, it's pretty fascinating to think that the human body can kind of like tune that in that, that directly. Uh, but yeah, I like, I really like the, the cues of just, uh, when someone's new, like telling them like, yeah, if you can carry on like a multi-sentence conversation with someone you're running with, no chances are you're not pushing too hard, but if you get to the point where it's laborsome to get out, more than a phrase or a full sentence, you're probably going to need to scale back a bit, at least when we're focusing on that 80% of uh, the, the easy side of things. And, and then, yeah, then you can always kind of build off of that from there, but awesome. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the other 20% because I, I know one thing I sometimes see when I'm hearing 80, 20 talked about, and I'm sure you get this all the time because you see, you see the concept and people want it to be as easy as possible. So they think, Oh, cool. 80% easy. 20% hard all the time, 365, 24, <laughs> seven. And it's like, it's like, as you know, and I'm sure, I mean, you have a whole book about it. So like, there's gotta be some more nuance into that as to like periodizing that and how that kind of plays out on the schedule. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about kind of how that 80, 20 plays out over the course of a training plan? Is it like 80, 20 over the course of an, a training plan where you're going to be skewed, like maybe 95 five really early and push up a little higher in the in the meat of the set of the training plan so to speak or is it more like once you get into like peaking phase that's when the 80 20 really starts to pop up yeah the way i'd like to think about it is um you know what's what's been pretty well demonstrated at this point is that uh you will gain fitness at the fastest rate um if you're hewing very close to that 80 20 ratio but are you always trying to gain fitness at the fastest rate at all times? No, you know, so, so, you know, when the pressure's on and you've got a race on the calendar and you want to be, you know, you want to have your a game for it, then you need to be you know, locked into. And, you know, as I say in 80, in the book itself, there is no magic in round numbers, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if you're 79, 21, it's not like you're just going to explode. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are, these are, you know, approximate, approximate numbers, but yeah, you want to be, you, you, you want to be sort of dialed into that formula 
uh, when you're actively pursuing peak fitness. Um, at other times, you can kind of do what you want, you know, as long as you're like training enough to get fitter and not training so hard that you're risking burning out. Uh, you can play around a little bit. Um, you know, when you're in sort of like a maintenance mode or early base training, I mean, you could do 80 20. Uh, um, you would probably want more of the 20, uh, you, you know, because what about the 20? That, that, that encompasses both moderate and high intensity. So there's a lot of fine print there as well. Um, but generally, yeah, people just, when they're in, kind of in a maintenance mode, they don't really feel like doing a whole bunch of hill sprints and, and stuff. So it's fine to be more like, yeah, 95, five, you, you, you want to keep some high intensity in, in the mix because of the use it or lose it factor. Um, uh, and then when you're in tapering, so, you know, so when you're actively pursuing peak race fitness, 80, 20. Earlier on when you're you know, you know, in maintenance or base building, yeah, you can lean more on low intensity. Uh, when you're tapering down for a race, you actually wanna be more like 65, 35 uh, because your volume is coming down because uh, you're, you're trying to you know, rest up for, for race day, but you actually wanna prime your nervous system then for racing by, by keeping a fair amount of intensity in the mix. So, so your workload is coming down, but you're actually doing um, skewing a little bit more toward moderate and high intensity during the, you know, the last two to three weeks before racing. So yeah, there is definitely some nuance to it. Interesting. I just got a couple more questions along the lines. Is there like a spot where you notice like a weekly volume where it starts to kind of get to the point where that formula really starts to hit its stride, so to speak, because one thing I think of is like, you get you get someone who's like, well, I run five hours a week. It's like, well, maybe 80, 20, that may be too low volume to really leverage 80, 20. But if you're doing say 10 hours a week, now all of a sudden you've got a lot more kind of tapestry to work with, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, Do you see that kind of, is there, or I guess maybe is when you've looked at kind of just some of the, I know if you're looking at professionals, you're probably going to get skewed to higher volume to a degree, but is there a spot where you like really start to start to see it fit in better or fit in general? Yeah, that's, you know, that question comes up uh, often, you know, like, is there a volume threshold below which 80-20 no longer applies? Um, I feel like the answer almost has to be yes, but, but that, uh, you, know, you know, the evidence we have thus far indicates that that threshold is, is really quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the you know, early studies, uh, it was a 2014 study, uh, sort of a, a validation study for the 80-20 approach um, was done with, you know, club level runners, um, half did 80-20, half did more of like a 50-50 thing, which is how Joe and Jane runner typically train. Um, those runners were, were running about 35 miles per week, and they got better results from 80-20 than from how most runners train. Well, that's, that's fairly low volume. Mm-hmm. And there was even uh, a study with even lower volume uh, that came out more recently that I wrote about in my blog. Uh, maybe I can share a link with you um, uh, where they, they found that uh, the results were about equal um, if, if they did like an 80-20 polarized approach. So no moderate intensity at all, like all 80% low intensity, 20% high uh, versus more of like a moderate focused approach there they were like it was like they were averaging 20 something minutes of exercise a day and and in that study it was a wash 
Um, but the performance test was very short. So it was sort of set up to favor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, so, so the so my thinking is if, if you exercise three times a week for 30 minutes per session, yeah, maybe you just want to be doing all intervals. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you're actually training for anything like 5K and up, uh, you should be on the 80-20 train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way I always kind of look at it is like if you are properly hitting that stress kind of recovery button at where you're at. So obviously everyone's at a different spot. You know, some people have been running for over a decade and they can tolerate 100 miles a week. Some people are, you know, they've never ran more than 35 miles a week. So to throw it like a high mileage week at them is just going to overwhelm them. So as long as you're doing enough to like induce that stress and recover from it, then that 80, 20 principle is probably going to be your, your best shot, at least at the start to kind of, kind of get, get things dialed in. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options. If you think my gear is also right for you. My shoe of choice, Ultra Footwear, is offering listeners 15% off. They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off, and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zackbitter.com forward slash my gear or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show. On one, the final question, just to follow up uh, on one of my previous ones, I forgot to ask when we were talking about heart rate, do you see kind of like a percentage of max heart rate or a percentage of like a lactate threshold that is a good spot to focus on not going above for some of those easier runs? So, you know, what the research shows is that that first ventilatory threshold very consistently falls between 77 and 81% of maximum heart rate. I mean, it, you know, there is inter-individual variability there. So I, I always advocate testing, um, but, uh, but you're probably pretty safe. You know, if you, if you, if you happen to know, and you can't go by one size fits all formulas for right. max heart rate you know, actually tech, you know, the kind of, the kind of testing I advocate, um, it's actually easier than going out and finding your maximum heart rate, which <laughs> requires some very painful exertion. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so 77 to 81% of max heart rate is, is where it lies. Okay. Interesting. Uh, cool. No, I think that's, uh, that, that, that's some good kind of background, I think on 80, 20 and, uh, I think we can, we can move into maybe some discussion about like that, that higher end of, or part of that 20%, I guess, talk a little bit about just short intervals in general. And, and do you like further break down that 20% as to like, I'm going to spend this much of it at say like a VO2 max short interval session versus like what we'd call in the running computer, probably more like a tempo run or a lactate threshold type of an effort. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, as I suggested earlier, that's, that's where there's a ton of, of fine print because, um, you know, 20% encompasses both moderate and high intensity. And I talked about where the, the borderline, where a lot of exercise scientists want to put the, the boundary between low and moderate intensity. 
there is also kind of a growing consensus that the appropriate borderline between moderate and high is at uh, critical velocity, um, which is it's, it's the highest intensity at which a runner can sustain a, a, a fairly stable metabolic state. And uh, in, in time terms, it's, it's an effort that you could sustain for 20 to 30 minutes, depending on your genetics and, and, and fitness. Um, so anything above that counts as high intensity. Um, so, you know, for someone like you, um, you know, you, you could, you could sustain an effort like right at your first ventilatory threshold, probably for seven hours. And you could sustain an effort at your critical velocity for let's just say 30 minutes. So from, from seven hour pace to 30 minute pace is moderate for you. Um, and window. <laughs> yeah, well it is, but, but it's funny in pace terms, not so much, right. You know, mm -hmm. because, because of the way physiology works. So yeah, it's, you know, it's a fairly broad range, but not as broad as I just made it sound, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with, with those numbers, but, but there's also, you know, like a 30 minute pace is, you know, I don't know, can you run a 10 K in 30 minutes? <laughs> Pretty uh, close. I can get close. Probably not right now, but I yeah. could get close. Yeah. So, so you're talking like, you know, 10 K pace and faster for someone like you would be high intensity. So th mm -hmm. there's some room to play in, in there as well. So it's not like I can say 80, 20 is the way to go. And then send someone off and like, they know how to train. Like there's a lot to talk about <laughs> yeah. still in order to, to train effectively. So, you know, one of the things that gets overlooked um, in discussions about the 80, 20 approach is that there's so much focus on, people not spending enough time at low intensity, but actually, you know, sort of a, a knock-on effect of that is that, you know, the, if that's the biggest mistake that runners make, the second biggest is actually not spending enough time at high intensity. Because like, if you sort of make every single easy run, not all that easy, then you don't really have a lot to put into really going to the well, like go, doing, you know, true hard high intensity um, uh, workouts. So like, you know, like I love to run fast and, and it's easy to kind of straw man the 80, 20 approach is to like, Oh, you're all about slow all the time. It's like, no way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I live for that 20%. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it, there's, you know, it depends a lot on, you know, where you are in the training process, like what kind of athlete you are, what your, what your, you know, race special race distance specialization is in terms of like how you apportion that 20%. Mm -hmm. And do you like to, focus on, I guess, it, again, the event is going to probably drive this to a degree, but do you like to focus on like specific systems exclusively versus kind of blending, say like a tempo run or a VO2 max within the week, like your standard kind of collegiate hard, easy, hard type of setup where maybe you're doing short intervals on Tuesday, like tempo run on Thursday, race on Saturday, long run Sunday type of a structure, or is, do you find that maybe focusing on shorter intervals and at one point in the season and more of that lactate threshold type stuff or, or critical velocity stuff at uh, another point would be um, more beneficial? Yeah. You know, the way I look at it broadly is that you're, you're moving towards specificity. So let's just say you're a marathoner or, or you're at least you're training your, your next a race is a marathon. In that case um, you're, you know, you want your, your hardest, um, marathon specific workouts to come fairly close to race day. Uh, so, you know, when, you, when you're close to peak fitness, that's when you wanna be emphasizing 
um, you know, uh, the stimuli that are most race specific. Mm -hmm. So the further you back away from that, the more you want to work on um, stuff that kind of establishes a foundation for, you know, the, the kind of that, that dress rehearsal type of training. So if you're a marathoner, you probably want to be doing your hardest speed workouts, you know, 12 to 15 weeks out from race day. It's not that you don't do them at all. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's when you uh, want to emphasize them and you would keep it in the mix, but you're sort of like, you know, as, as you're sort of dialing back on, on the, the true speed work, you're dialing up on more of that, you know, moderate, like steady state to tempo to, you know, critical velocity um, type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, you know, you can, you can segregate them and just say, okay, I have a, you know, I have a moderate intensity day in the week and I have a high intensity day in the week and never the twain shall meet. Um, that's fine. That's, you know, 10 years ago, that's kind of all I did, but I do a lot more blending now. Um, especially if you're, if you're more of a, you know, on, on the long distance focus, you know, if you get to the point where simply going the distance is no big deal, then you want to be start, start to inject some moderate and high intensity, like into your long runs mm -hmm. and also do workouts that are so long. They're as long as long runs, but even if they are like interval or tempo or a mix, um, you know, I, uh, a few years ago, I, I trained with the NAZ elite team in, in Flagstaff and Ben Rosario, the coach of that team is really big on blended workouts. Um, so, you know, you might do hills, tempo hills all together mm -hmm. in one day and, and that's a workout or, or um, you know, a bunch of like moderate intensity intervals, like eight times 1K at critical, critical velocity and then an all out 1500, uh, that type of thing. And, you know, there's sort of, you know, physiological, there's a physiological just so story you can tell about like why that's good, but it's also just, hey, why not? <laughs> 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 it's a good, hard, interesting workout. Yeah. Well, and if you're going to, I mean, like races, like those guys and gals are doing, like, you just don't know if you're going to be able to control a pace in a race. Like that gets decided for you a lot of times when someone makes a move at a specific spot you weren't aware of beforehand. So like, I think sometimes when you get blended workouts, like you described, it's, it really does replicate kind of the flow of some of those events where you might be cruising along at a lower than your average pace for a bit, but then all of a sudden injecting what would be unsustainable if you were going to try to even split it. So I think just even just the practice of that and being able to respond to that and work out just kind of like, you know, like practice makes perfect, right? You do more of it in training. You're probably going to respond to it better in a race setting as well. So uh, I, I like to hear that stuff. And it, it, it's also like, I'm always thinking of it through like the hundred mile lens through like selfishly. So it's like when you're talking <laughs> about specifying, like it always, like, I just, I always laugh when I write a hundred mile training plan for myself or someone else too. Cause it's like, to a degree, we kind of almost come back to the beginning at the end because race pace is so low intensity relative to right. the marathon. When you start getting specific, it's just like, well, we're going to start blocking some long runs, but we're going to be doing them relatively slow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So uh, yeah, let's talk about the the short intervals in general. So you, you or maybe even just like the Professor Balat's kind of approach in general, because I know you've played around with some of the workouts that she's looking for and I would say like, if anything, she's probably slightly more in line with like what Ben was advocating, just maybe with a little less like actual structure in terms of we're going to hit like, you know, a tempo here, hill repeats here. And then, you know, the 1500 all out where it's like, she's kind of structures a lot of her stuff where you start running and you just gradually accelerate until you're 
running as fast as you can and you're trying to time it perfectly for like a specific time frame and then they're varying time frames from like i think it's like three minutes six minutes and 11 minutes on one of her like analog windups um can you just talk to us a bit about kind of like what you think that her angle is with that and then maybe describe what your experience was with it yeah so you know I, i've been aware of uh dr balat's research for um a long time uh you know she, she she's been around a while um and you know it's kind of you know, has legendary status at this point and has done a ton of research, really interesting stuff. And she's definitely like an outside the box type. Um, she's, she almost reminds me of the kind of person who like comes to exercise science from some completely different field, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and just like, just hasn't been indoctrinated. Um, you know, it's like, well, this is the way it's always been done. So this is the way it's always going to be done. Like, she's just like, you know, screw that. Let's come up with stuff. And, yeah. and I really like and, and appreciate that um, it, it's not that, you know, I've just, uh, you know, absorbed everything that she advocates, you know, unquestioningly and like become, you know, a, you know, a, you know, a blotite <laughs> as it were, but I've, I've, I've definitely like, you know, uh, I've paid attention to her research, you know, I've, I've guinea pig stuff on myself and athletes I've coached um, and, and definitely retained uh, some, some stuff, but yeah, you know, her focus is definitely, um, you know, she, she's, she's not exactly, you know, a Lydiardite. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, um, you know, she, 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 you know, she just, she, she tends to like put more of an emphasis on high, high intensity, less of an emphasis on, on volume. It's not like CrossFit endurance we're talking about, you know, they're, you know, <laughs> they're still, you know, they're, they're not worlds apart, but that's more of her, her angle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like looking at some of the workouts, I think like one of the uphill battles you're always going to probably fight when you're, you're kind of trying to, I guess, maybe revolutionize the approach is the buy-in has to come with like a heavy dose of experimentation just to get it right. So like if I told one of my coaching clients, okay, I'm going to have you go out for an 11 minute acceleration where you're going to just start running at whatever feels comfortable. And then work your way up to an all out sprint, but you want to time it so that you end that 11 minutes right at that point where you're like, I can't go any faster. And uh, it's going to probably take them a couple tries to even get close to hitting it on that. So like, that's where I wonder if that's going to be one of her biggest hurdles is to get enough people to actually go through it, learn it, and then apply it to like a race setting where she can point to a lot of tangible results with the program. Um, but with that said, it's like, it also intrigues me at the same time because I see elements of just like, this would be good. This would be, this, this fits in really well with say like, you know, a long run with some intervals injected into it or a long run where you are hitting a variety of different paces. Uh, Cause one thing she mentioned is like, well, it's not bad to go out for like a three hour run, but you should be running like just when you feel good, a little faster in some parts, when you're not feeling as good, just settle in and then, you know, hit some medium pace stuff. So hard, easy and medium in, in that three hour range. And just kind of like, it's almost like a really long run version of like a fartlek workout. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like it's, it's both simple and complex at the same time is like, you yeah. look at it and you're like, okay, okay. I see what, I see where the angle is here, but then to go out and actually do it, I think is a, is going to be a little bit of a learning curve that, the type A runners may struggle to kind of buy in at, at, at first. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, um, 
I, you know, I have, you know, I've done her accelerations run. I'm when I first read about it, um, cause that, that one's relatively new her, you know, her 30, 30 intervals go way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, you know, and everyone knows what an acceleration is, but it's really just usually 15 seconds, right? It's like yeah. an alternative to strides. And I thought an 11 minute acceleration, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, um, but you know, you know, she, 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 you know, bases it exclusively on, on physiological grounds, but like, it, and you probably have this experience too. In my experience, most runners are just terrible at pacing, like just, just awful. And, and I feel like it's so critical to, it, it's just a hugely underappreciated skill um, in, in running um, that I work, I, I beat that drum hard. I, I really work hard on, on getting the athletes I coach to master pacing. So I thought of her, her, um, her windups as great pacing pra- practice mm. because you're going entirely by perception. And that's like, you, you know, like you, you've got these, um, these rocket scientists who've been able to land space probes on moving comets like millions of miles from earth. And like, you think about like what it took uh, to make that happen. Like, like her accelerations are, are the exercise version of, of that. Like you've got 11 minutes <laughs> to go from a jog to an all out sprint and you can only sprint all out for a few seconds. So mm-hmm. if you misjudge that by this much, you know, you're, you're going to, as I put it in, in my write up about my experience with that workout, uh, pace yourself into a corner. Yeah. Um, but, but that's what it makes it really interesting uh, pacing practice in that regard. So for me, I feel like you're doing two things at once. And, and personally, I don't really care if it is like physiologically better or worse than any other workout. It's definitely good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you were just dying. Like, you know, I mean, you're, you're just, you want to lie down after the first, you know, acceleration and then you've got two more. <laughs> yeah. To, to do on the same day uh so yeah did did you find because the one thing i'm always thinking about with these things is i with i mean there's a lot of great workouts as you know and i think like sometimes the driver comes at the individual level as to like well if i have one of my athletes do this workout and we're trying to hit x amount of volume at a specific intensity over the course of say a week then this one workout has them under the table for three days versus this other one where they bounce back after about maybe a day of easy running or a day off. And then I can get another workout in. And then over the course of a week, or if we look even further, a course of three, four weeks, I can get more volume spent at that kind of target intensity. Sometimes that helps me decide like which one's going to be better or worse. Did you notice like with these type of workouts that you were able to bounce back from them quicker or were they kind of similar or any, any nuance with that? Yeah. You know, that type of workout is really deceptive because you suffer intensely, but only briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, you know, I, I remember, um, it's been a while since, since I, the one time I, I did it. Um, but I remember like comparing like how much distance I covered in those accelerations to how much I would have covered in a time trial. And, um, it, I didn't run nearly as far, you know, in, in the accelerations, because for most of it, like, you know, if, if you pace it right, you're not running that hard, really, you know, for, for most of it. Um, so when you finish it, you know, when you finish an acceleration, you're like, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but then, you know, 
you know, five minutes later, you're fine. And the mm. next day you're, you're, you're good to go. Like, it's just, it's not that, that brutal a workout all, all said and told, which is, you know, both a pro and, and a con, I, I guess. Um, yeah. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by a company named Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs is a company that has created an electrolyte powder that you can mix into your drink. The reason Elemental Labs began developing the product Element is because Rob Wolf noticed that his performance seemed to suffer when he was taking part in one of his favorite activities, jujitsu. And after a little problem solving, he realized that it was an electrolyte situation, specifically sodium. So he wanted to develop a product that gave him all the benefits of the electrolytes without all the additional sugars and fillers that you would find in traditional sports drinks. Element is packed with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, and comes in four flavors of orange salt, citrus salt, raspberry salt, and raw unflavored. So if you would like to up your electrolyte game, head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and place an order. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, the other thing interesting about that specific workout, and I should just maybe like highlight it for the listeners so they're just aware of kind of the structure of it, but it's kind of like you start, you start with the longer ones and you kind of work your way down. So you do an 11, 11 minute acceleration from jog to full sprint. And then you do a 30 minute rest. And I can't remember if rest, if she labels that as like active recovery, I'm guessing she doesn't want you just sitting there and stiffening up. <laughs> um, it's some sort of 30 minutes of like non-specific pacing, I guess. And then a six minute acceleration from jog to full sprint 30 minute rest and then a three minute accelerator. So she's basically having it each time. Um, there's really not a mention of a warm up or a cool down, but I'm, I would imagine that would be recommended in most cases. So, uh, you know, although I guess you're, you warm up for maybe a couple minutes in the 11 minute acceleration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. So like, do you, did you find out what the reasoning for the 30 minutes was? I was trying to, I, I obviously that's going to be full recovery, but it seemed to me like that was, uh, almost longer than you would need. And then my next thought was, well, I guess if you're trying to hit a certain amount of volume total, that would be maybe a good opportunity to get like an extra hour worth of running in kind of similar to what we were talking about before, where you get these kind of longer runs when you get to that point where you need more overall volume, you can just stretch out the volume of an interval workout essentially and get that from it. Is that kind of what you were looking at it as, or am I off base on this? Well, you know, it's just like you say, like in the book, she does not describe the workout in a way where you actually know how to do it (laughs) start to start to finish. Like if I put that description into, you know, an athlete's training schedule and said, here, do this, they would come back to me with questions, you know? So, so I, instead of um, just like going to John, Jonathan Edwards, the guy who, uh, who shared the book with me, uh, her, her, uh, collaborator and saying like how do I do this I just decided to make my own decisions it's sort of like loosely following a recipe in a cookbook um so I'm like you know because I told it told it up it's like this will take all day (laughs) like I'm not doing that so I just yeah I warmed up and I I did um 
after each acceleration, I would just do a walk to jog. And I think it was 10, 10, 15 minutes, like between uh, accelerations. Just, you know, I felt it was like long enough to be ready to go again. I did not want to be out there all day. And yeah, I mean, the meat of it, I mean, whatever you're doing and whatever you're doing or not doing in the recoveries, that's not what the workout's about. It's, it's about the acceleration. So you, you just want to contextualize the accelerations in a way where it all hangs together. Um, and I've continued to play around with it. Um, I've got an athlete doing it tomorrow, a version of it tomorrow. It's actually a distance-based version of it. So that's part of the fun. You know, it's like you can just take it as kind of inspiration. And mm -hmm. as you suggested yourself, like you need to sort of experiment, um, kind of take ownership of it. Uh, to an extent. Well, and sometimes with these, with these higher intensity type of workouts too, when you get like really small margins of like, this one's better than this one by like one to 2%, because we, you know, strapped some people up to a mask and found out that that's what was produced. It, there's a, like, there's kind of like in the lab versus in the field discussion to have after that, where like, if I'm throwing three minute by three minute or three minute intervals, three on three off at someone weekend and week out, you know, by the third or fourth week, they might be like, gosh, I just really can't get up for this workout anymore. It's like, right. so, it's so boring at this point where then you throw something else at them. You know, even if by the, by the on paper, it's not quite as impactful from a physiological standpoint, if they go out there and get excited about it and nail the workout versus kind of having a subpar workout for that person in that context, you know, there's a little bit of spice maybe put in with some of this stuff versus, you know, the, the same old, same old, I guess is what you'd look at it as. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I'm a fan of uh, variety for variety's sake. And, um, you know, like, you know, runners are not exercise robots, you know, mm -hmm. we're human beings. And, and um, yeah, you have to be kind of emotionally invested in, in your training, you need to be having fun, you know, like you need to be engaged. So, um, you know, you know, the physical stuff is, is simple. Uh, like, it, you know, if you're, if you're training to, for a peak race performance, your workload needs to increase gradually over time and your training should get more, you know, specific to the demands of your upcoming race, check those two boxes and, you got all kinds of room to, you know, skin the cat in, in, in various ways. So all the rest of it is just, um, you know, choices. And, 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 and that's one of them, you know, variety for variety's sake uh, can be one. Also, you know, athletes tend to know, well, they always know like where they are in the training process. I, I remember uh, Dina Castor speaking about this um, years ago, how like, like she, even when she would do like the same workout, if she had a bread and butter workout that she would hit a few times in, in the training cycle, she would mail it in the first time, go kind of hard the second time, really push it the third time. And then maybe the last time just go full into the, the pain cave. And, and so that's another way you can actually, um, you know, sort of an underappreciated way really of, um, you know, I guess, you know, periodizing just by, you know, knowing where you are in, in, in the, uh, in, in the training process and, and, you know, pushing or holding back accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you get that, like that, that affirming effect of like, Oh, I'm getting faster. I'm doing this right. better. And that's always motivating heading into a race, especially if right. someone like someone like her, who has like a massive background of precedence as to where she should be at certain points 
uh, you get a little bit more probably of a reward knowing, okay, I'm on track or you get that, that assurance, uh, sleep a little better at night, perhaps. Um, cool. So like with the 30 second stuff, uh, I've been playing around with a little bit of that these last couple of weeks. I haven't gone all the way up to 30 of them yet. I did last week, I did two rounds of 15 um, by 30 by 30. And then this week I just did one so far, but I did 20 and I'm, I'm going to work my way up to it. And uh, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to think about it in the context of what I've done in the past when I'd be probably targeting more like two to four minutes. And the first thing I thought was like, I was actually pretty sore <laughs> after doing the first <laughs> round of And, but I, I probably, there's too many variables really for me to really tease out if that's more of an effect of, I also haven't done short intervals in a really long time. I'm coming off of a 24 hour race training block where I did very little speed at all for about, you know, 12 weeks. And then I had an off season. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm probably in like about as bad of a spot to be using that as a gauge as to whether they're going to be able to be something that I can leverage in a higher amount versus the more like traditional, like kind of three minute interval type of setting that I've done in the past. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that in terms of just, because I think uh, Professor Berlott's argument was that the 30 by 30 was kind of like almost two pronged in terms of its superiority, where is it, you, you can kind of execute the workout a little easier from a mental strategy because 30 seconds is only 30 seconds. So like, as soon as you start it, as soon as it starts to suck, it's basically over in a couple seconds, you get that kind of built in break. So from like a, you can almost mentally tolerate more volume at that. And then, uh, I think she said, since they're shorter, you also can do more overall volume over the course of a training plan. Right. And then also uh, that we're getting into the, the lengths of my ability to decipher stuff at this point, but she was talking a little bit about just like the lactate recycling, uh, side of things where it's short enough that you just don't get yourself in a position where, you're going to go quite as glycolytic as you would if you're say stretching them out to two to four minutes. So then yep. there's less of a glycogen depletion effect, which could be the limiting factor of how much of these you're able to do say in a week versus, um, you know, having that glycogen preserved and feeling like you have that fuel tank to access when you want to do it again later on that week or whenever it comes next. Uh, what are your thoughts kind of on that? Yeah, so you know the the core insight that that led to her developing that workout is that you know in 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 any type of high intensity interval workout, it's not all about the on effort. It's also the recovery. You know, is half the workout, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so let's take a look at that. And and, and it's like you know why why not you know you know start viewing the recovery as a co-equal partner with the on effort and, and, and think about, you know, how do we balance them in different ways that maybe will allow us to get more out of the workout without simply making it harder. Right. So if, if your normal, you know, VO two max type of, of workout is five times three minutes, well, you could make it harder by making it 10 times three minutes, but you would also kill your athlete. So, <laughs> so you're, you're trying to like, you know, you, you know, you're, you're trying to refine the format so that you get, you can squeeze more out of basically an equal amount of perceived stress. Um, so, you know, that's the idea. And then, then it's just a matter of like, well, you know, the devil's in the details, exactly how do we like, how, how long is the on effort? How long is the recovery? How many do we do? 
how many sets, how, how much time between sets. Um, there's actually, you know, it's, you know, this stuff is right up the alley of an exercise physiologist. So she, she kind of got the ball rolling, but there's, there's, a, there's a, been a, a spate of recent, more recent research with um, other researchers playing around with different formats. And I, I've sort of, um, there's nothing wrong with 3030s, but they're kind of old news for, for, for me at this point. So I've been favoring some of these newer formats, which if, if you want to get into them, we, we can, but there's, um, you know, it's fun because like, you know, you don't really have to decide which one's best and then do only that. In fact, you know, why not do them all and maybe just do the one you think is best slightly more often than, than the other ones. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine jumping into some of this structure, but I 100% agree. I think at the end of the day, it just goes back to what you were saying before. If just like I could make the same argument for the 30 or against the 30 by 30, as I could, if I was going to go out and do the three minute by three minute every time where uh, my guess is if you've never done them before, they're very exciting for a few weeks. But then if you, you look at your plan and on the fourth week, you've got a, your what maybe eighth set of them you're probably like oh come on this again <laughs> so then maybe you're better to go back to the three by three but but yeah <laughs> you want to we can touch on some of the the variants within the framework in general too yeah so some of the new ones um that you're just all within the past few maybe two years um that have come out one is called descending intervals so uh you start at three minutes um at kind of like a, a an effort you could sustain for six minutes and then you recover active recovery for two minutes. So two thirds of the distance. Then you go down to two minutes for an on effort and then a minute and 20 seconds for the active recovery. And then one minute on and then 45 seconds off then 30 seconds on then 20 seconds off. No, I skipped one step, 45 seconds, then 30 seconds. So you, you, you keep shortening the intervals and then shortening the active recoveries proportionally. S same deal with that one, you know, they, they you know, they did a controlled uh, study where they found that, um, you know, the, the whole idea is to, uh, of all these, uh, you know, different ways of skinning the cat is to increase the total amount of time an athlete can spend above 90% of VO2 max in a single session uh, without, again, just increasing the volume to the point where it becomes uh, undoable. So that's one. Another one is a variable intensity intervals format. So it's, um, 45 seconds at like a, um, like a threshold effort and then 30 seconds at like a VO2 max pace and then back to 45 seconds at threshold and then back to 30 seconds at, at a VO2 max effort. So you're sort of um, uh, toggling back and forth yeah. between those, those two intensities. Um, so uh, there's a couple of them. Yeah, no, that's great. I always, I think that's probably all psychological, but I do always like the ones where it's like, a pyramid or a ladder type of a structure, because you, I feel like when I do an interval and then I've got the exact same interval coming back, I just don't feel like I've maybe progressed in the workout until I get to like two left when you can right. really see the end. But when you have like those, uh, those varying lengths, then like, Oh, I just checked off the one minute. Oh, I just checked off. Right. The yeah. Second actually kind of, you know, psychologically feels maybe a little more of an accomplishment within but you know, that's, that's could be individual to me too. And it just goes back to, what we were talking about before. It's like kind of knowing the athlete, knowing the personality, and then, you know, finding the way to maximize their potential within what's going to kind of work with them and all that stuff. But cool. Um, 
I mean, this has been awesome, Matt. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, I was able to connect with you and have you come on and kind of chat about this stuff. I think it's going to be a good, a good one for folks that were interested in, in the interview I had with professor Balat, just to kind of decide for themselves, like, well, where do I want to, what do I want to try out next? (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I know, I mean, you're always busy. I think you're almost always writing a book as far as I can tell. So is there anything (laughs) kind of coming down the pipe on the book side of things, or that's kind of new and exciting for folks to maybe check out? Yeah, I have, um, um, a, a, book that's been out for about a month called the comeback quotient um kind of a kind of a sequel to a previous book of mine called how bad you want it like Mm -hmm. i have a huge i I love training uh just spent some quality time talking about training with you um but i'm I'm, i have a huge interest in the psychological dimension of endurance sports too so this is one that the comeback quotient uh, hits that subject very cool i think yeah i uh, how bad you want was great. I think like folks, if you haven't read that, get that one and then get, get, uh, the comeback quotient to follow it up, I guess is right. <laughs> it's just such a cool part of the sport. Cause I think like we've kind of known it all along, I think in terms of just like, you get to this point where you kind of do have to decide like, why am I here? And it, it seems to kind of come somewhere between like the excitement of maybe like, PRing every year to the part where you get to a point where like, now I have to put in a full training block just to chisel a half a second per mile. Right. <laughs> and, and that's when you got to figure, you got to ask yourself those type of questions. And I think, you know, and it could pop up at any time for anyone, depending on kind of what their circumstances are, but it's just such a cool topic that uh, I think just knowing about it and having a little more information on it can be uh, the spot that puts people at the point where they're actually asking themselves that and deciding what they need to do to kind of find, find their spot. So um, I haven't read the, read your new one yet, but I'm going to have to get my hands on it and, and give that one a read as my, as my next book of choice. So thanks for sharing. Uh, that. I, I know a guy who can hook you up with a copy of Zach. Oh, like. cool. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't turn on free press. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, if uh, anywhere else you want to share a website, social media, anything like that. Yeah, so if folks are interested more uh, in, in learning more about the, the whole 80-20 thing, uh, 8020endurance.com is a good place to go for those resources. Awesome. Yeah, and folks, just so you know, too, uh, for the topic we talked about today, Matt did do some, uh, some blogging about just like his experience with some of this stuff, too. So they're both they're, they're great reads. Uh, so definitely go over and check out all that stuff. But otherwise, Matt, thanks again for coming on and you have a great rest of the day. My pleasure. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at ZachBitter.com or my social media channels at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.